0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 596 for Sunday, March 13th. One day short of Pi Day, but Pi is a lie, and I'm gonna tell you why. 2015. 2016! <laughs>
1: And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. And like Car Talk for Apple geeks, we answer your questions, share your tips, share your cool stuff found. The goal is to learn at least three new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Gazelle at Gazelle.com. where You can sell off all your old stuff and buy some new refurbished, new to you refurbished stuff. We'll talk about that. Uh, a new sponsor for us here for us here. HelloFresh at HelloFresh.com where uh, promo code MGG will save you 35 bucks off your first order of some fantastic food. Uh, and I'll tell you more about how that works in a minute. I also want to tell you that I made a mistake uh, in one of our more recent spots for the company Betterment, B E T T E R M E N T.com slash MGG. When you visit that, What I neglected to mention is that depending on how much you invest, you can get up to six months for free using that betterment.com slash MGG link. So I wanted to make sure I made that very, very clear for all of you. You really should check that out here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton.
0: And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, and I have to explain myself, um, this is... John F. Brown, but let me explain myself. So some of you may know, and yes, I will stop doing that. Um, tomorrow is what many call Pi Day, because it's 314, which if you know what Pi is, which is a a, a number that a lot of us like, if you're into math or, or things like that, or circles, um, is 314. But... I would argue, and that's why I, it's uh, the, the problem the, ra- is,
1: the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter is, is just you know is, is what pi represents. But the reason I say that pi is a lie, Dave, is because for all
0: practical purposes, a lot of times you really want to use something called tau. And I'll, I'll post a link to it. But uh, tau is basically two pi, and, and again, for, for a lot of calculations, you're going to be using tau anyway. Mm-hmm. so that's why i'm saying pie is a lie but i will link to the article but you can t- you can celebrate both so i encourage people to celebrate both pie day which is going to be monday and also tau day which would be june 28th right
1: so well can go for
0: it though, though i'm not sure i mean of course on pie day you would you would celebrate with a pie i'm not sure what the appropriate celebratory vehicle is for tau day but, but, but we got time to work on that
1: yeah. Yeah, I feel like if we can find somewhere you know, the people that live around me here in in sort of northern New England and especially emanating from Boston tend to drop their r's quite a bit. So what we need to do is find somewhere uh, where they colloquially cl- colloquially tend to drop their l's and then we can celebrate towel day on on 628 and and we'll be we'll be just fine. So we need to make ourselves honorary members of whatever community that might be. And uh, and and then there you go. I don't know. Is that Towel Day? No, no. I'm just saying we could make it. We can we can push this. It's bullheaded persistence, John, is what we're going to figure out. We're going to use to figure this out. So
0: yes, well, is, to my records, Towel Day, which is to celebrate um, Douglas Adams, yes, uh, author the, of, uh, and that is, looks to be Wednesday, May 25th. So uh,
1: was that Douglas Adams' calendars. birthday? Is that right? Uh, it would
0: appear that's the case. I yeah. just
1: Google yeah, Tau Day, right.
0: and I came up with that. So, um, so, right. so we got all sorts of oddball holidays that regular people don't celebrate. Yeah, but, but
1: then, but then, what do we 80 80 do for do. Tau Day? We gotta, we gotta find. We, I mean, is it is it the day <laughs> that we celebrate our neighbors on Seti? I don't know. I don't. Or know. you could just
0: have two pies.
1: Oh, see, now you're talking. That's twice as good as Pie Day. I like the way you think. See, we're just spitballing here and we're coming up with good stuff. I like this. This is good. Uh speaking of good stuff, we have some quick tips to share. So, let's jump to Jeremy. He says I discovered something about an earlier tip that might help some others. Pressing Shift Command Control 4 will let you take a screenshot and copy it to your clipboard, clipboard instead of creating a file. And the control key is the 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 differentiator there. Just Command Shift 4. Would save the screenshot to your desktop. Adding the control into it saves it to your clipboard. He says, I found out today that you don't actually have to press control with the other three keys. My hand cramps up trying to get all four at the same time, but you can get away with just command shift four to start taking the screenshot. And before releasing the mouse button for the shot to be saved, hold down the control key. That will save some wear and tear on my hands. It also saves you from if you hit command shift four and then realize, ooh, I wanted to do this to the, the clipboard instead. Just add the control key in as you're pushing the mouse button and it will put it on your clipboard. So thank you, Jeremy. Good, good stuff. Uh we had both Dr. Mac, Bob Levitis, and uh Allison Sheridan from the uh from Podfeet.com from NozillaCast right in and uh and say uh, we were talking about that little icon at the top of document windows. And Bob says that is called the proxy icon. And you can do one more thing with it that you guys didn't mention. Pressing command and option while you drag it will uh, allow you to create an alias to the document. He says, I use this one all the time. So thank you, Bob. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, everyone, for for chiming in about that good stuff. John, you, you had something to add to this, yes?
0: Well, what I added is, so in the lovingly handcrafted show notes, I will often, if appropriate, Post a link to something that has more information, and in the show notes for five ninety four, I did, among the chatter I saw about the proxy icon, did find a rather splendid article um, over at MacWorld. I I don't recall the author, but it talks. I I think it has eight amazing things that you can do with the proxy icon. Oh, nice! We got to put that in again. Yeah, yeah, we'll put that into this one too. Yeah, so we got stuff. uh, Yeah, I mean, it, it it looks it. It's little but it 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 has the potential to do a lot if you uh fiddle with the keyboard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cool. All right, uh sticking with quick tips here for a little bit. David says Uh, I have an iMac that I back up uh, using a Thunderbolt attached Drobo mini. It works flawlessly for this purpose. However, I recently swapped out the hard drive for an SSD. And when I attempted the recovery, the drive was not recognized after contacting drobo support. Their advice was to remove the Thunderbolt cable and use a USB cable, retry and bingo. It worked. Uh, my iMac was mid 2011. So it's only USB two, not USB three recovery took longer than I expected. This is somehow a limitation of the iMac, according to Drobo, and that it only supports recovery from USB and not Thunderbolt. Might be a good tip for those who have a similar setup and uh, can might limit the hair pulling if you need to do a recovery. And that is true. I, I don't have the list in front of me. Maybe we can come up with it before the end of the show and we'll put it in the show notes uh, of which Macs it is that that you cannot do Thunderbolt recovery. But, uh, but I know that there are many of them. We've heard about this from many of you over the years that have attempted it. So thank you very kindly um for that David good stuff. Th- anything to add on that before we jump to Jim here, John?
0: Um I don't think I'm ready for it. I was going to th- th- there were, there was something about target this mode and the various uh interfaces here, but uh, I don't have anything that I have hands-on experience with, so I'm okay. just not going to mention it. All so. right. Sorry.
1: that's a, No, that's okay. No. I did. <laughs> yeah, processing out loud. Well, no, gotcha. I, I
0: do believe that the very latest Macs do support target this mode using USB, or is it Thunderbolt? That's
1: that's what I'm scratching my head over. Definitely USB, and I think Thunderbolt as well. But yeah, I, this would I be good to get clarity on. I
0: not the case on earlier Macs. I, I remember having a spirited discussion with a lot of the, the Mac cool kids about this. And, Got uh, it. And it certainly was not an option on the very first Max, but I believe on the latest uh, uh, Thunderbolt will support the target disk, which basically makes your disc look like uh, an external
1: drive. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Uh, Going to Jim now, Uh, Jim said I ran into a problem a couple of days ago that I thought was worth sharing. I was using one of my iCloud email accounts and replied to a message that had a couple hundred recipients. It was a meeting invitation. The reply all was appropriate since it contained information for everyone participating. Shortly after I hit the send button, I tried sending another email from the same account and received a message telling me that I had exceeded my daily sending limit. Since I found an Apple support article, which will, of course, put in the show notes uh, where I learned that all users have a limit of 200 outgoing mails per day. I guess I should have known I should have known that, but I didn't. Uh, I also think I've learned that each addressee in that reply all must have counted as a send because there were only a few less than 10 other messages sent before that. So the only way I could have reached the limit was if the addressee counted as a sent email. Anyway, I wasn't able to send from that account for 24 clock hours. So apparently it's not a calendar day, but a true 24 hour clock. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, this is, it's interesting because I'm not, the way the, the support article reads, I'm not convinced. It says the total number of messages you can send each day is 200. The number of recipients you can message each day is a thousand, and the maximum number of recipients per message is a hundred. So, I'm not I'm not sure what went on here. It may be that you overdid your recipients per message and hit the limit, and so it stopped you for 24 hours, uh, even though you hadn't sent 200 messages. I think that's probably where you. Uh, where you hit. So it's very interesting how this, uh, how this all works. But we'll put that in the show notes uh, so that you guys, so that you guys have it. I yeah. ran into this a D- while ago. Ah, uh, okay.
0: Well, I was, um I was using my iCloud or my dot .Mac uh, email. Uh, so I, I was uh, kind of volunteered to do our last uh, high school reunion. Yeah. And we have just over a hundred uh, people in our graduating class. And I, I found out what this limit was, which was a hundred. Yeah. Cause I tried sending an email out to over a hundred people saying, Hey, you know, can you confirm your uh, mailing address and, and you know, this info and it came back and th- at least it comes
1: back to you telling you that you blew it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Jim was not left wondering what happened. That's right. Yeah. Which is good because yeah. sometimes you'll run into those things. Um, and it's just like, Hey, you know, where the ISP just, I'll yeah so just don't do it. Yeah. And
0: and you you have no clue as to what went wrong. So and and they did that. I think they they said, you know, you got to back off a bit so I had to segment my uh, uh queries into groups of
1: 100 or less. Right. Right. Great. Right. All right. And lastly, on the quick tip front anyway, we've got plenty more show for you folks. Uh PJ wrote in and said uh I use uh if you are in Chrome or Safari and are browsing and find a site of interest, just hit command shift I, and it will copy the link title and email and put the link in the email ready to send to someone. And uh, he says he also uses command L to get to the address bar quickly. And in Safari and Chrome that gets to Google search without having to get to the Google website, which of course is very handy. Yeah. Command L is one of those that's baked into my fingers when I'm browsing and probably all of yours too. But, uh, but if it's not give it a try you will find how efficient you can be in a web browser with, uh, with your keyboard. So thank you very much, PJ. Thanks for everybody for sending in all of your quick tips. We love, 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 love those things. It's good stuff. Anything to add on this one, John, before we move on to questions?
0: Not this one. Okay. Uh,
1: the next one. But all right. We'll, we'll wait. Well, yeah, we'll move on. All right, cool. Uh, so Martin writes, he says, I'm running out of space on my MacBook Air And that's why I was looking with Omni Disk Sweeper to see what big files are on my hard drive. Great, great thinking. Uh, He says, I found one big file of 5.9 gigs in uh, user library application support. Google Chrome default file system 000 slash P slash 00 says, I'm wondering what I'm wondering is if I can delete this file or do I need to clear it in another way? I've Googled a little and found where someone mentions it could have something to do with downloading large files. And I've recently used Chrome to download a file of about that size. So it looks like that makes sense, but I'm wondering now what I can do with that file and how to delete it. Yeah. The, these files are in, in in that folder are failed downloads or downloads that, you know, didn't process the way Chrome does it is it, it stores its downloads here while they're in progress. And then when they're finished, it moves them to the download folder. This one for whatever reason it sounds it it sounds like it got, you know, pretty much to the end and, and just didn't complete that last little bit to uh, to to trigger the, the the final sort of rewrite. And so that's that's what happens. Uh, and yes, you can just safely delete those, no problem, and free up your your disk space. And running you know, running omni disk sweeper like like Martin did here, great, great thing to do on a, uh, you know, I probably do it. I probably do it three, maybe four times a year on my drives. Um, and it's a, it's a handy thing. We've got an article, you can run it, you know, just kind of normally, uh, there are other pieces of software out there that do the same thing. It basically just scours your drive and shows you where all the big files are and what, what folders are the biggest and it sorts everything by space. And so you can just sort of traverse through and see where these things are. Cause there will be things hiding, uh, I like the the Omni Disk Sweeper interface, but again, there's there's others. It's you know um, Daisy Disk I think is one of them, and and again there's 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 others. But uh, if you run Omni Disk Sweeper in normal mode, it will not see files that are only readable by the root user. So we've got a little article that's many years old but still very very current that shows you how to use the terminal to run OmniDisk Sweeper in full privileged mode and see everything. And that can also be handy. So we'll put that in the show notes for you. So John. And here's my story, Dave.
0: So it's a little tangent, but I think it's relevant okay. and, and it ties into some things that you mentioned here. So I think I was telling you and I'll tell everybody else here. So I was having a problem with my transporter. Okay. Um, transporter being a uh, kind of cloud, cloudish private, device. private cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Private cloud. And so I had one of those, and I was having issues with it. Uh, I was having one issue, which I think was based on my my Switch being wonky. But then, Dave, the thing would just die on me. And I'm like, you know what? I think it's the hard drive. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pop the hard drive out of it, and I'm going to put another hard drive in there. And when you do this, the device is smart. It's like, okay, I'm going to reformat the hard drive using my, you know, it's a Unix-y format. And then it went through the motions of re-uploading or re-mirroring all the data that I told it to. Um, one of the nice features of it is you can say, okay, back up all my pictures, my documents, you know, a number of the special folders. Sure. So as, I, as it was going through the motions of redoing this, because it was a new hard drive, I noticed that I had a time machine backup, day that all of a sudden took 300 gigabytes. And I'm Aww. like, wow, that's pretty huge. <laughs> yeah gigabytes folks no not megabytes gigabytes and i'm like wow now the thing is is that the things i was telling the transporter to sync to it were in fact that large so i did what you said dave so there's a tie in here so i ran our pal omni disk sweeper and i said you know what please tell me what this huge file is and it's like up you know what it's in your user directory library application support and it was a file called connected data dot connected data which they were using and, and i don't think it was the wrong thing to do. Um, no. they, they were using it as a big old honkin' cache. The thing is, because I was uh, syncing such massive amounts of data, uh, one of them being about 300 gigabytes in size, mm. which was some of my photo libraries, uh, it cached that to sure. my hard drive. So a little tip here, you may want to, so what I've done from that point forward, and then I ha- I'm, I'm having other issues with it, 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 it looks like the, the, the device itself may have died. Right, But right. Um, What I did is I said, you know what, let's exclude that particular file, which I think is either a file or directory, let's exclude that from Time Machine. And what I also did, Dave, though, and I think this is probably a wise move for anybody, um, I would like your thought on it, but I also excluded slash library slash caches and my user directory
1: slash library slash caches from time machine from time machine. It's automatic. you don't have to do that it, it automatically doesn't copy that stuff, really? yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure yeah all right. Yep. it's odd because it let me add them as exclusions It didn't say I already exclude that yeah I, I okay I it would make sense to me that it wouldn't back those up I, i'm I'm well. I mean, I'm 90% certain that it doesn't back those up uh, because I've, I've looked in backups and, and uh, I'm pretty sure they haven't been there, but, but you're, you're right that it is, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous to want to back those up that that's, you know, anything stored in the caches folder should be data that is not unique to your system, right. Or, or not recreatable by your system. That's sort of the point of a cache. And yeah, I'm pretty sure time machine excludes that automatically, but there's no harm in adding it to the exclusions list. Yeah. Right. So I guess the story
0: is, yeah. So things in application support are not <laughs> obviously from what I saw here are not automatically excluded. And depending on the app, uh, again, I don't blame these guys for doing this. It, it, it kind of makes sense that they cache it before they upload it mm-hmm. and they have to put it somewhere. But, um, if your time machine backups are getting monstrously huge, yeah. uh, break out Omni disk sweeper and, and exclude that bad boy. If it doesn't make sense to to back it up to time machine, which in this case, I really don't think it did. Yep.
1: Yep. Totally. All right. Good stuff. Moving on to, uh, to Barry, I think. And uh, if I did this right, Barry was, I think, I think, no, I'm certain of this. Barry was the very first one. To, well, he was the very first one to sign up for Mac Geek Cab Premium uh, years and years ago, and he was the very first one to call in to our new Google voice number of, uh, of 224-888-GEEK. John Geek is 433. Bye. That's right. There were many of you that called in this week that that answered our call by calling. So thank you for that. Um, I think Booker was one, and uh, uh, I want to say Mark was another. There were there were several this week, but uh, but Barry was was the first. Which again, no great surprise. Here is what Barry had to say. Hey Dave, John, and Pete.
0: Uh, it's Barry. Hope you are doing well. A hey, quick question about voice over LTE. I've noticed that with AT&T, if I call uh, people who are on the same network in the Chicago area, get some really nice, crisp, clear connections, and they're lighting up other areas as well. So I was just in Vegas. They work great coming back to Chicago. My wife, however, is on Verizon, so we don't get that benefit. Now, I do have a work test phone that's on Verizon, and I tried that, and that also worked really well, Verizon to Verizon. Is there any way that these carriers will get together so we can do one carrier to another and still take advantage of this. Just kind of curious what the technical uh, options are, if it's possible, if it's just a matter of them being carriers and just not playing nicely with each other. Looking for your thoughts. Thanks so much.
1: You bet, Barry. Thank you. Um, so yeah, voice over LTE new thing with, uh, I believe just the iPhone six, but I could be wrong about that uh, or the 6s but the six might do it too. Uh, yeah. In fact, I think it does. Uh, the, what it is is it's it's creating a, a much higher quality voice connection, uh, and you've heard this sometimes if you've if you've got uh, an, I think it's iPhone six and later, yeah, where uh, where you get this, you know, it sounds like a Skype call or a FaceTime audio call. It's like whoa, this is you know, way clear audio, crystal clear audio. Um, but as Barry points out, when it first rolled out, it was only available within the same carrier. So I, you know, like he said, he's got AT&T, uh, he can call other AT&T people, Verizon people can call other Verizon people. And if both phones and both networks that they're on at the point of the call uh, allow it, then you get this great quality, but there is no interoperability at current. All of the the major networks, AT&T, Verizon uh, at the, at the front of them have announced that interoperability is coming. AT&T said they would have it all set, with Verizon by the end of 2015, uh, that did not happen, but they have done some field tests and they are testing this in limited areas where the interoperability works. So my my feeling and, and what they're saying is that certainly this year we will see that uh, that happen. So it's uh, it, it, it was the various question was good because I never really quite understood where all this uh, came from and this, it was, it was good to do a little research and demystify it and figure out why it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And it depends on which tower you're on. I mean, if obviously if you're in a place where you're bouncing between LTE and 4G, well, if you're on 4G, you're not going to get over LTE. Um, it, it sounds obvious when we say it this way, but you know, sometimes in the moment you don't really think about it. So that's what's, uh, that's, what's going on there. So have you had any of those calls, John, the voice over LTE where it's like crystal clear,
0: Yes, because when I got my shiny new uh, 6S, Dave, yeah. one of the first things that was in the box as a little addendum, they said, "By the way, you know, because you got this phone and and you got the LTEs, go to cellular, enable LTE, and there's going to be three choices. One is off, one is voice and data, and the other is data only. And they say you probably want to do voice and data, right? It'll it'll uh, it, it's good for you." But um, the bad news is, uh, LTE it would appear is not LTE
1: at least not between carriers. Not which between is carriers. Disappointing. Right, right, right. Yeah, and yes, it is iPhone six or later, not uh, not six So that's the that's the trick. And I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to Apple's page because it tells you what carriers worldwide support it. So interesting stuff. Very very interesting stuff. In fact, so it's cool, fun. Moving to uh, let's go to Ronald John. You ready to uh, you ready to take us there? I am ready.
0: Well, let's go. Ronald's question is very timely because you know, especially with with you know moving the clocks around here,
1: we're all having problems with you know. I, I want to say something about this, um, especially as someone who had a gig last night and then had an eight thirty or whose son had an eight thirty a.m. hockey game about an hour away uh, this morning. This spring ahead, fall back thing. Sounds like a really good idea in the fall, but, um, but not so much in the spring. Not so much. But bring us there, John. Please. When you're gaining, yes. When you're losing, yes. no. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. But it's over now. So the next one, mm-hmm. we, get to, we get to bounce back. So that's, that's a good one. Although I say, it would ban-, be, I I say would, ban it. I would, Yeah, I would, I would like to abolish it as well. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I
0: think certain, I, I think Indiana and I think parts of Arizona, I believe there, there are a couple of places, in, and I think Hawaii. Maybe, Hawaii. There are a few parts yeah. in the U.S. that don't deal with this nonsense because yeah. it, it just. Because I only had like two devices that auto, I mean, my computers automatically did it. I think my TiVo, um, I do have an analog clock. Well, it's, it, it's actually digital behind the scenes, but it actually moves the hands ahead or back at the right time and a weather station, but all my other things I had to do manually. Yeah, it didn't take too long, but still.
1: So right. you know, I actually I want to rewind a little bit, John, because there's some there's some discussion in the chat room here uh about this uh voiceover LTE thing and and several people are talking about how it doesn't work if you're using a microcell. And and that is true. It it does not work if you're using a microcell, uh, because the T's microcell puts out a 3G signal. Uh Here's the thing, and I was someone who I own two microcells, and I have owned three because one of them died, and I bought a new one. Uh, they were a great device. So the microcell is this device that plugs into is AT and T's name brand name for their for their device. Other carriers have the same concept, where it's a device that plugs into your local network and creates a little kind of individualized cell tower in your house uh, using a data connection over your over your you know your broadband connection to to get voice calling to you and it it was the best solution you could get if you were in like a weird kind of pocket where you didn't get great cell service at your house your office you plug in one of these things you authorize a certain number of phones to use it and everybody's happy however since the introduction of the iphone 6 uh they many of the carriers now and devices support wi-fi calling and since all of our devices in my house now support that, we turned off our uh, our microcells, and and the benefit is the benefits are 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 many. One of them is that you know we're not limited to this um, th- this issue of of uh, not being able to use LTE things over I mean, the three G data on that microcell was just slow, and you would pay AT and T for it anyway. So if you forgot to turn on Wi Fi or whatever, but uh, but it's been much, much better for us. So if, you, if all of the phones in your house are capable of doing Wi-Fi calling, turn off, just unplug your microcell. That's all I did. Just pull the plug from the wall. We're automatically now on Wi-Fi calling in the house, and things are much, much better. Um, and So there you go. So I just wanted, to, just wanted to share that since there was some chatter going on about it. You ready to take us to Ronald? Unless you have something more about Wi-Fi calling, John. Well, we Verizon folk do not have that as of yet. But Seriously, I, th- I thought Verizon I thought it was- approved it months ago. That—that's—that's that's the word. But you can't use it. Well, I—I I don't see it. I thought they rolled it out in like back in December.
0: Well, should it be in? December oh no,
1: screen. No, you're right. It's not. You won't get it until uh, iOS nine point three. You should put the, the developer beta on your phone. Yeah. yeah no. Uh, he, okay. So n- now we'll take another tangent off of this tangent. Uh, the I am running the developer beta of, of 9.3 on both my iPad and my iPhone. Now I typically put it on my iPad. Cause that, I mean, it's a device I use all the time, but it's not mission critical. So that's, that's where I sort of test out these things. So I have some working knowledge of these features when it, when it comes out. Uh, but one of the features that night shift feature, once you have it, uh, it was impossible for me going back and forth between my, my iPad and my iPhone and even my Mac at night, the white point, you know, it moves it from this very blue thing to a a much, you know, yellower, redder, uh, white point to soften the, the kind of the, the glare and the burn on your eyes at night. And, uh, I love it on the iPad. And so I immediately downloaded flux for my Mac because uh, because I had to do the same thing there and I mat I just matched it to my iPads colors so that it's all the same and then of course I, I had to put it on my iPhone so that that night shift mode when that comes and my guess is a week from tomorrow we will hear the release date for 9.3 if it's not out already um, you know with Apple having that announce that uh, announcement on the 21st so anyway I, I throw that out there once you've got that be prepared and Flux is free for the Mac. We'll put a link for that in the show notes. So uh, there you go. Now you want to take us finally, John? You want to stop <laughs> dilly dallying yeah. and take us to Ronald? <laughs> Me dilly dallying?
0: <laughs> no, I say it happens. All right. So Ronald has a good one. We'll dig deep. Well, we'll dig as deep as we need to here. But uh, so Ronald says, "Hey guys," and he says he enjoys the show, and we enjoy that you enjoy the show because we're all in this together. Um, but he says, I've been having a problem with my iMac that has been getting a lot worse recently. Sometimes I can't wake the machine after it has gone to sleep. When I move the mouse, the pointer moves on a black screen, but I don't get the login screen. Eventually, I use the power switch on the back. Uh, this used to happen every few weeks. Now it is happening every day or so. I'm debating three choices. Nuke and pave. Never done this. Talk to Genius Bar to have them check it out. Okay. Um, Buy a new machine. (laughs) Um, All right, we don't need any more more there. Um, My machine is a Mac 27-inch lead, 2009. Processor, memory, uh, I don't think any of that is really important. And he's running El Capitan. I'm able to SSH into the iMac from the iPad using Coda on the iPad, but I'm not technical enough to know what to look for. I looked at some of the logs, but I'm not sure what to look for. All right. So here's my take. So I had an initial uh, referring to looking in the logs. So he's SSHing in, but I'm almost certain what you can do is once you do get into the machine, rather than SSHing, you can go to the console. So one thing you won't, you can search for when you're in the console, so you start up the console... typically, you're going to be highlighting a category. And probably the best one to highlight in this case would be the one at the very top, which is all messages. You you can do a subset. But I would do all messages just to make sure Sure. you're being thorough. And I would search for the word sleep. Because what you will get... Well, I'm I'm going to give you a couple of words to search for. So one is sleep. Because you will see... And so I searched on my system, Dave. And you will see uh, probably reasons for the machine both waking or not waking and sleeping. So for example, in my case, I looked at the most recent on my, uh, on the machine that I was running it on. And it has, so first it's a message from the kernel because the kernel does handle this sort of thing. And one message I saw, it said, Oh, wake reason, EC dot sleep timer. Okay. Well you woke up because you know, some timer told me to. Okay. That's good. Um, you may also want to, search for the term wake because in this case although here it gives a reason that it wakes i'm also suspecting that if it doesn't wake you're going to get a reason probably a failure code the other thing is you could look for the reasons that eh, this is probably not so applicable here because if you search for sleep you're going to see reasons that the machine falls asleep as well and typically that's based on some setting in pram so where I'm leading Dave with this is that there are a couple of other things that I didn't explicitly mention to Ronald, but I'm I'm hoping he's listening to us. So power related issues with sh- this sounds like so so this is crossing different boundaries here, Dave, because so when you have power issues, to me that almost suggests doing what is known as an SMC reset, which in a lot of cases is basically it is nothing more than removing power from your Mac. And sometimes holding down certain keys. It it depends on which machine that you have. Sure. Like in the case of my Mac Mini, uh, they say, yeah, basically pull the plug for 15 seconds and that resets the SMC. It may be different uh, for the iMac, though I'm not sure if it it actually involves holding down keys on the keyboard or if it's the same sort of thing. It's just remove all power and this thing called the SMC will drain itself and reset.
1: That's typically what it is. Some laptops uh, where you can't remove the battery have a different... uh, a different right. process, but yep. yep. The other thing
0: is that settings for sleep are typically stored in what we, what is known as the PRAM or parameter RAM. And if this gets corrupted or munged, as we like to call it in technical terms, here's the other option. You reset the PRAM, and that is typically opt, command option PR, I think, Dave, if my memory serves me correctly. Because a lot yeah. of the things again, um, concerning sleep are stored in the pRAM, and I think again, uh, yeah that's that, that's where I would go with this, yeah, and I think if you go into the terminal uh, I forget
1: it's pm set, and then I, I oh, I know I know where you're going here, so if you want to see the reason that your Mac won't sleep if you <sighs> if you run yeah. pm set space dash g from the terminal. Uh, it, it will show you lots of different things, but one of them will be sleep with a number after it, which is how long it will, how long after it goes idle, your system will actually go to sleep. And then if there's something that has uh a kind of a, a hold on that, it will show in parentheses, it will say sleep prevented by, and it'll start listing processes. Like on mine right now, it's a sleep prevented by core audio D D. yep (laughs) uh, and then core audio D then core audio D then core audio Audio D and I think there's about eight of them but you know I've got I'm running audio hijack and and routing things all over you know six ways from Tuesday to make this podcast work the way we like it to so that makes sense because each one of them puts a hold on it and says nope you know I I, I, if I'm alive please do not sleep the system you know the user might actually be doing something uh, even though they're not touching the keyboard we're we're using audio stay away. Which is right. cool. Now,
0: again, his issue could be, now his issue is that he can't wake, not that he can't sleep.
1: Right. Well, he did but, say that he was having trouble sleeping sort of as a tangential thing, I think, in one of the okay. replies. But but you're right. Yeah, the, 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 the core of the issue was, was right. waking. So these absolutely,
0: um, yeah, these the sleep reasons will, uh, you know, and in our case, it's pretty obvious. We're running audio. So sure. The computer is not going to go to sleep if it detects that we're actively doing
1: something audio, which is kind of smart. Yep. And that's um, also true anyway. if it's playing, you know, songs from iTunes. It won't just go to sleep randomly in the midst, which is good. You know? Right.
0: I'm thinking the other thing. Now that I look what I see in the PM set dash G, Dave. Yeah. It's kind of a long shot here. And it could be dangerous. And actually, I want to get your guidance on this here. But there's another thing that the Mac does when it goes to sleep. And I'm wondering if this is preventing it from waking up. Okay. There is something called a sleep image. So this is an image of memory. that yeah. When your machine goes to sleep, is saved. Now, I'm wondering is if that file is, again, the technical term is munged. Or, that's, or that's the technical
1: term. That's right.
0: Yes. <laughs> But I'm wondering if, now you want to be careful, is that I don't think you want, well, I don't know. I mean, typically it's in slash var slash VM slash sleep image. Yeah. I'm wondering if whack in that file um, may address, I'm wondering if the machine is trying to wake up, but because the sleep image is somehow damaged or, or messed up. Yeah. It it's struggling and it's like, you know, I really want to wake up for you, but you know, first I got to load what was in memory and I, and I can't. So, and it sounds like he has to resort to holding down the power button, which is the absolute, uh, not the totally worst thing you could do, right but it, it it's a pretty severe. Yeah. I mean, at that dealing point with things the, and, and the, the more you do that, the more, you always want to shut your machine down properly, either through a shutdown or or you don't want to hold down the power button to shut down your
1: machine because that just leads to more bad things happening down the road. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think in, I think in his scenario here, there's not a whole lot of options though. So, uh, you know, I mean, if the machine, if you can't get it to wake up, you have to shut it off. There's, There's, I mean, there's no, like you know, it's not like you can SSH in and and tell it to restart the nice way. It's it's not responding to anything, so it's not responding to anything. <laughs> right no. now, as far yeah. as
0: the the choices he was debating, I, I don't I don't necessarily think a nuke and pave is is necessary because that takes a lot of time. Yeah, but going into recovery and reinstalling the OS, there could be a just mysterious part of the OS that is just. Again, these things happen mm-hmm. uh, somehow. Damaged, no, I think, but I, I think I've your actually idea... had reinstalling... Uh, I mean, the last thing to try would be reinstall- going into recovery, which you should have available. You know, you, you start up and you hold down Command-R. And reinstalling the OS, I, I don't think, could hurt, and it could maybe repair whatever is... And, and I guess uh, the old Hail Mary is doing a safe boot, right? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That also fixes some, you know, kind of uh, non-specific damage.
1: It's true, actually, and I would, I would, I would, I would not call that a hail mary. I, I mean, I, I would do, like you said, I think the SMC reset. You know, that's always the, the way I think of that is when it feels like hardware, and you hope it's not hardware. Uh, try an SMC reset because that's sort of, you know, I mean, it's the bridge to hardware, right? And if that gets corrupted, and it does, doing an SMC reset can solve all manner of otherwise wacky issues. Uh, so that would be absolutely the first thing that the NVRAM reset with command option PR that that's another one for sure. And then I, I like your idea of a safe boot, cause that's going to clean out a lot of things that might be getting in the way. Um, and, and I would say the fourth thing would be your, um, your delete the sleep image file. If, if a safe boot doesn't do that automatically, and I don't know if that's one of the things that a safe boot does, but I would do all four of those things in that order before uh, before re- resorting to, you know, certainly a new can pave or, or even an over the top reinstall. So, cool. All right. Good stuff. Uh, where are we here in our agenda? I know we've got a couple of things. You want to take us to? Uh, you want to take us to Larry here, John, and uh, we will we will take a sip from Apple's fountain. on This one,
0: Larry. A, a sip. Oh, I see. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> oh, that was good. All right. Oh, are are we here? Uh, Yeah. Well, well, we're here, but I I don't, uh, all right. I I put something. uh, All right. Uh, We're kind of out of sync, but I think, I think we're good here. Okay. Um, And then I think I had a follow up that I don't see here in my, uh, maybe I'm missing it. Is there another from Larry here? No, there's not. All right. All right. We'll just roll with it. Okay professionals we can we can handle this Sorry. yeah so he right. says hey guys so ever since el capitan came out and i was told that i could not use total finder because system integrity protection was on i've been worried about the integrity of my system uh, aren't we all i really want to use total finder but i don't want to compromise the integrity of my system currently i'm trying to restore my boot camp partition and i'm having problem using WinClone. and their technical support is telling me i need to disable system integrity protection in order to do it would you say that it's okay generally to just leave it disabled? I'm not terribly worried about things, or should I be?
1: You know, I, I well, you I had will, the initial reply. Let me let me take this, and and I actually put your follow up in Evernote, so you should have it now at the top of our MTG thing in in Evernote. Uh, once you once you sync up, or once we both sync up. Um, so in in terms of in terms of a general there. issue with system integrity protection it's important to remember that SIP didn't exist for us before El Capitan. So it is less than a year old in terms of its public uh, presence in any form, right? The, the betas or even uh, certainly the release um, our systems were, you know, I'm using air quotes here, unprotected in, in that sense. And this is not to say that SIP is a bad thing. System integrity protection, SIP, that's what we're, we're calling it here. Um, But, you know, a year ago, it wasn't even on our radar as users. We didn't we weren't like all standing there with pitchforks saying, please, Apple, you know, lock down some portion of our system and protect us from ourselves and others. Um, So we certainly can live without it. We did live without it. um, And you'd probably be just fine turning it off for certain operations. Know that it will potentially get turned back on by things as it is the default state and the OS is, you know, a uh, Apple treat it like a stable system where at some point, you know, I I always think of stable systems as a bowl with a marble, you know, you can, you can take the marble and put it on the edge, but at some point it's going to roll back down to the center of the bowl. Uh, And that's true with, with, uh, with, with, with this, it will go back to being turned on, even if you don't choose to do that. Um, But it is, so it is best to learn to live with sip enabled, Most of the time, because it is where we're going here, whether we like it or not. And for the most part, I have to say I was not a fan. I'm still not a fan of the concept, but the implementation hasn't been horrible for for me or for us in general here. you know, we haven't heard lots of horror stories from from everyone listening here with, you know, there there just hasn't been a lot of issue with it. We sort of know about it. And it's this thing that, yeah, we know our hands are sort of, you know, shackled in certain ways, but for the most part, uh, it's kind of OK and it doesn't get in our way. And, and, and yes, I do understand that it, it makes us safer because there are these parts of the system that even if we authenticate as root users uh, or admin users, we cannot touch. And so, I mean, I get it. I don't it's a slippery slope. I don't know how much further I want to go here on this, but we're OK where we are. But you could turn it off, especially in limited doses, to do certain things. And I think that's where you want to take us, John. And the
0: thing is, I'm with you. The, the thing that they were trying to prevent, I think, is the thing that, quite honestly, I've seen plague Windows systems more than others, is that allowing you want to be careful about allowing the root or the admin user to do certain things on a computer. Yep. And system integrity protection tries to limit, uh, both where things can be that can do, you know, potentially catastrophic, horrible things. Um, or like signing, for example, that's one thing that they strictly enforce. So in the past, They'd be like, okay, well, you know, things, you know, especially these things called kernel extensions, which are kind of the bridge between your hardware and your software. Yeah, we'll, um, you know, we'll kind of let, you know, we'd like those to be signed, which, you know, means they should come from a developer that Apple knows about. But here's this whole huge list of exceptions. Sure. That we'll allow to get through. Right. So they're kind of breaking their own rules and they finally tightened up on that a little bit. Um, but also locations that things can run because if things are in certain places, that means they have you know certain abilities that right. other programs do not. Um, the place where I wanted to go with this is that uh, so the problem is I'm not entirely clear on it. It could be where the thing goes. but um, Total finder is is something that uh, I was using for a while and I really kind of enjoyed using it because it added a lot of things to Finder that I miss. Like the other day, the one thing that I miss is that it would allow uh, cut and paste in the Finder. You don't mm. get that in the regular Finder, right? You can copy and paste, but it's so much easier to cut and paste than than you know the Total Finder guy or, or crew. I think it's just one guy um, figured out a way to accomplish that, but I guess he had to you know kind of break some of the rules or kind of you know get intimate with the system, which system sure. integrity protection. Right now, his solution is you turn it off, and then you come to Total Finder. The thing is, I've seen tweets from him saying, I'm going to be offering, so when he's still questioning whether it's worth writing the software, because in order to enable the use of it, people are either going to have to disable this mechanism, or, but he, is, he has promised to come up with a way that people can temporarily turn it off, install Total Finder, and then Put it in a a place that the OS is happy with, and then turn it back on. Yep. and that's the
1: last I saw from him in his Twitter feed. Yep, and so, yeah, we we've, we we've, and we'll put a link in the show notes to the the page that explains how to disable SIP and get Total Finder in place and all yep. of that stuff. Yep,
0: yeah, I I mean, it sounds like your take was it's probably not a big deal if you disable it. I would. Uh, the I, thing is, it opens you up.
1: In the it same way opens, that you were open a year ago, um, and and to point something out because that th- this is you know that herd immunity concept, right? Where is someone going to bother to write an attack vector that ninety nine point nine percent of Max are immune to? No, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, true, th- right? I mean, it was not, it's just not worth your time. So but I. <sighs>
0: I personally would not turn it off. That Mm-mm. that's my take. Well, I, I I wouldn't either.
1: But it's not it turning unless it off isn't gonna
0: unless you think you have a really good reason. Well, now, that's I it. don't know if running total finder is a good enough reason. Yeah. For you maybe it is. Right. Um for me, it it it's not. But if he has a workaround where I can turn it off, install it, and then turn it back on, then maybe I'll revisit it. Because I do miss that, that one feature yep. when I really needed it, um, and, and a few of the others. Um, so, that being said, it's... Uh, but Apple's looking out for us. They're trying to yeah. protect us. Again, no, it, it's, uh, it's good.
1: It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Hey, um, I, want to, uh, I want to take a second and talk about the, uh, the two sponsors I mentioned in the intro that, uh, that work for you, my friend. Outstanding. All right. Our first sponsor is a new sponsor for us here at Mac Geekab, and that is HelloFresh at HelloFresh.com. HelloFresh is a meal delivery service. Well, it's a meal kit delivery service, right? You go online, you pick what you want, and then they send you a box. They can send you one box a week, You can have three, four or five different meals in the box. But the thing is, you're going to cook these yourself, right? But they make it super easy and it tastes so good because you get this box and it's awesome the way they do it and make sure everything stays fresh and cold and all that in the box as you would expect. But when you open this box, the box I got had three meals in it. And each meal was sort of self-contained in its own little mini box And when you open these little mini boxes, it looked like someone had gone to the best produce section that you've ever seen and just hand selected the best of each of these items. They just looked so perfect and they weren't crammed in there. They had plenty of room and they felt fresh. Hence the name, Hello Fresh, right? So then there's also a little booklet and it looks like, I mean, this thing's like a published booklet and yet it's got the recipes for the ingredients for the meals that you ordered. So you take, you know, one of the boxes and you start to make the meal and it tells you how long you, you need and all the ingredients that are needed. And of course, most of the ingredients are included. The only things that weren't were uh, olive oil and butter. So you need to have that and you need to have a, you know, a stove and, and maybe an oven. But, uh, but otherwise you're good to go. They got everything, you know, that, that you need it prepares so easily. They've got everything for you right there. You just read through the steps. It's a fun thing. Totally makes sense if you, uh, you know, you're just a busy uh, professional and you want to cook more at home or you're a family like mine where we're going all over the place. You know, So many times it's easy to just punt and pick up something, but it's not all that great for you. And this stuff is great for you. It's great tasting. They've got a dietitian on staff that reviews every meal. You got to check this out. So go to HelloFresh.com. And then when you're ordering, use coupon code MGG. That saves you 35 bucks off your first week of delivery. So again, HelloFresh.com and use the promo code MGG. You know where that comes from. And uh, it saves you 35 bucks. It lets them know that uh, you heard it here. And that works out well for all of us. Our thanks to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode. Our second sponsor, how would you like some money? How would you like to get some money from a company that has paid out over 200 million bucks? All you got to do, visit gazelle.com. Tell them what you got. An old iPhone, an old iPad, even an old MacBook of some models. They'll tell you what it's worth. They'll send you a box. You put the stuff in the box. You send it back to them. They send you money. I'd like to note that the only time money is involved from your standpoint in that whole transaction I just described is when they pay you money. The box that's shipped to you at Gazelle's cost. The box that you ship back to to them comes with a shipping label prepaid by Gazelle. The only time you are involved with money is when you're receiving money from Gazelle. They've paid out over 200 million bucks. They like to pay you money. And it's great. And then they take these things and they either refurbish them and, and sell them back individually or you know they have different ways of recycling them and, and doing all the right things with them. So uh, if you want a used yet reconditioned iPhone, well, go to gazelle.com. It's the same instructions, except instead of clicking sell, you click buy and you're done. You just figure out what you want. And then at that point, yeah, you are sending them money, but then they're sending you a phone or you know, whatever it is you wanted to buy. You got to check this out, gazelle.com. It's the place where you're going to go to either sell off your unused smartphone and other devices or buy yourself a refurbished one at a great price. Check it out, gazelle.com. Our thanks to Gazelle for sponsoring this episode. Indeed, indeed. Uh, John, two more questions that I want to go through here because uh, we'll see if we can get some clarity actually on on this first one. Scott writes, guys, my wife just asked me, can I select all messages from, say, Travelocity and delete all but the most recent two? I can obviously show her how to do this on her Mac. She was looking via her iPad at the time. But I know the real desire would be to have it happen for certain email addresses automatically, especially newsletters and promotions and sales, but not others, friends and and that sort of thing. So, so nothing jumped out to me, but I wasn't sure if either of you have seen this kind of feature before in any tool add-in or service. So this is a good question because it would be handy to say I only want the two most recent emails from Travelocity, you know, to to persist in my in my mailbox. And I'm not sure you know, I feel like there's an option with smart mailboxes. Certainly if you're using Gmail, you can create some rules like that. But, I, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know the the answer. SaneBox is definitely something you should consider. SaneBox uh, is a service. We'll put a link in the, in the show notes, but it's just sanebox.com. And they, uh, this is a service actually I couldn't live without. I've been using it for a couple of years what it does is it auto filters your mail as it's coming in. And it takes things like Travelocity, you know, the the newsletters and promos and puts them into a different, uh, it just moves them into a different mail mailbox on your IMAP server, whatever your, whatever your host, whatever host you use. Uh, And it's fantastic because it keeps your inbox for just the things that are there for your inbox. And you can totally configure it. It's, you know, it comes pretty well configured, but you can tweak it just for you. And it's, it's very responsive and, and all that stuff. So SaneBox, might be sort of a, uh, it, I don't think it's going to do exactly what you want here, but it, it might solve this problem in a different way. But uh, if anybody's got any thoughts about how to do exactly what, uh, Scott and his wife are, are looking to do, I, I'd, I'd sure, I'd sure love to really to hear about it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cause I was thinking a few things. So one, yeah. I mean, I actually already have a rule where anything from Travelocity or many of the people that I deal with, um, you know, vendors. Actually, I have a folder called Travel, and within my Travel folder, Dave, I have American Airlines, United Airlines, and I, and I put all the emails. I've already created a rule that all sorts them nice and neat. Sure. And at that point, it's trivial to to pull them out of there. Otherwise, I think yeah, I think you the the, the suggestion was a smart mailbox would be a, a nice way to do this.
1: Yeah. So yeah, think but, about but a smart a- mailbox would have to be done on the server, right? Because a smart mailbox on your Mac is worthless to to deal with mail for, you know, I mean, if you're checking on your iPhone or whatever. Right, it, so it's server-based. Server-based, and that's, again, where SaneBox sort of came around for me. It's like, eh, this might be, you know, again, it it's a little bit different, but not all that different, so, yeah. I don't know, it's just just a, you know, just a thought, so...
0: I mean, I guess in general, I guess the thing is, you know, if you don't have rules, whether they be server-side or client-side, yeah, think about creating them now, because you want to avoid email chaos. Now, as you said, you know, SaneBox, and I know there are other uh, very nice either email clients or systems that help manage your stuff, yep. but um, now's the time to think about that, because it, it gets... It, It gets out of control. It does. It it will. It's not, if it will happen, it will happen. Your email will, you you will lose control of your email. Yep. You got to think of a way to organize it. So now is a good time as any. Yep.
1: Cool. All right. Well, I would love to hear your thoughts on that folks. If anybody has, especially the specific answer that, that Scott's looking for, that would be great. Then, and the last question, and then we have some tips to go through, actually quite a few tips to go through. Uh, Daniel writes, he said, I upgraded, to a new Netgear GS108E gigabit switch, and I have uh, to have something more reliable in the office. The switch connects to an Asus RT66U router upstairs through the Ethernet cable. Everything I connect to the switch works fine, besides my Thunderbolt display. In network settings on my computer, nothing happens, and it seems like there isn't a cable connected. Uh, And on the switch, both lights start to blink for two seconds and then stops. And cycles back and forth. Can you point me in the right direction? Yeah. So when, so what he's talking about, in case it's not clear, because we we're talking about Ethernet, and then suddenly Thunderbolt displays. The Thunderbolt display is also sort of a mini Thunderbolt dock, and it has, among other things, a, a gigabit Ethernet port in it, or at least in theory, that's what it has in it. Uh, so it should be able to to connect to the switch, but. You know, there's a lot of these, um, these new switches, Netgear switches are interesting. They they actually have some great features, but a lot of them are, are sort of, uh, dumbed down by default. And, and if it's a dumb switch, you can't get in and control it. But, uh, a lot of these switches have, uh, energy saving features where they turn off the switch. If they're seeing that, you know, or they turn off the, a certain port on the switch, if they're not seeing what they want, um, uh, but that cycle that you're seeing where it lights up and then it goes off and then lights up and goes off means that the negotiation of the speed is not happening in the way that uh, is making one side or the other happy. And it's just giving up on it. So the idea would be to go to uh, system preferences network. And then go to the Ethernet port in question. I mean, you could be seeing this problem with an Ethernet port on your, you know, there's the built-in Ethernet port on your Mac. It doesn't have to be Thunderbolt. I've I've seen this. In fact, I put myself into a problem with a thing like this. Um, And then go to advanced and go to hardware. This is where you tell the port on your Mac how to behave. And you can have it in configure automatically mode, which would be the first way to start because that sort of lets it negotiate whatever might need to be negotiated. And, uh, and, and that would be the first place to start. My guess is you might already be there. And if so, then I would try changing that from automatically to manually and change the speed from auto select to gigabit, which is a thousand base T leave the duplex at full, the MTU at standard. And for for the first test, leave AVB, EAV mode on, if that's an option for you. That's one of the power saving kind of negotiation modes. Hit OK, hit apply and, uh, and, and, and see if it brings up a connection. If it doesn't go back here, leave it again on configure manually, change the speed to a hundred base TX, Uh, leave all the rest, the same hit. Okay. Hit apply. See if that negotiates. If it does, then it means, okay, you can get a, 100 megabit connection, but not a gigabit connection. And you can start asking why is the cable perhaps a problem? Is it, you know, is that port? I know your switch is brand new, but these things happen. Is it, is the port on the switch bad, right? And move to a different port, you know, with, with the cable, see what happens there. Try your Thunderbolt display with a different switch. See what it auto-negotiates there with the cable, right? So you can say, okay, I know that the port, uh, whatever port it is you're using, you know, uh, works at gigabit with this cable on that switch. So what's different about these two switches? And then at that point, you might go back and say, configure manually, do the speed at auto select, but turn off AVB EAV mode. That's the power saving thing. And that I've seen cause all kinds of problems with certain, but not all, switches. So that's just doing a little troubleshooting in here. And and it's a little tedious because you've got to go in and you've got to make the change and then hit OK and then hit apply, and then, you know, it should either come up or not. But that's uh, that's a handy place to do that from. So hopefully that helps. I hope. That's the plan. Thoughts on that, John?
0: I hope too. Um, I've always liked, Dave, to determine if your network connection is okay from the computer that is experiencing troubles.
1: Right. Well, that's what we're doing here is the computer. Is, yeah, yeah,
0: is the network utility info tab and where it shows especially Sender receive errors. Like I'm looking right hmm. now on this machine. Well, here. he's not
1: even getting. He's not going to have any errors because there's, there's no data passing. Yeah.
0: So you yeah. got you got to wind things down. Yeah. Right. Not yeah. with your suggestion, but like for example, in my case here, Dave. You know, I'm looking at my gigabit connection from my Mac Mini to my switch. Yep. And it actually shows four receive errors, which actually makes me happy.
1: So you're using some. you're using
0: network utility to do that. Yes. So network okay. utility has an info tab, and then among the choices are all of your interfaces on that computer in question
1: so, right, so how, internet, do you, how do you how do you go and run network utility i do it by typing command space to bring up spotlight and i, I type network utility because i can never remember how to that's exactly n- what i do navigate there so okay so there you go that that's for me that's how to launch
0: uh, yeah dude for me most of the time um spotlight is my app launcher
1: there's a, there's a tip. If you're not, again, you know, th- this was the point <laughs> of the whole quick tip segment was to, to, to expose these things that we all use, you know, but, but not all that we each use automatically couldn't live without, but you know, don't think about sharing. And here's a great tip. I think it's probably been a decade since we've talked about how we launch apps. Right. I mean, certainly half a decade on this show and, and this is it. Yeah. It's spotlight. Um, it's how I launch almost every app that's not automatically in my dock. Yeah. It's command this space. Utility. Yeah. Um,
0: almost all of them. And you know, the thing is, when I get a new system, I get cranky because it hasn't yet built the spotlight index. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it doesn't work. And I'm like, where is this? Or yeah. I know where it is. It's either in applications or sometimes, like in the case of a lot of these utilities, it's in applications Utilities, but
1: that's that not varies. where this one is. This one's in, you know, system library core services applications Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Core services has, yeah, several utilities that mere mortals uh, will never encounter. But uh but these uh, are unless... good things, yeah. And you're right. I've got nine receive errors and no send errors on my uh on my a- Ethernet port on this iMac since since yeah. In boot, this case, I yeah.
0: So out of eight million packets received, four were. Encountered errors and typically networks or most computer things will will fix that. So I'm not,
1: I'm not, not surprised
0: at that. No, but yeah, if and when you actually establish a connection, which you will also see in the window, right? So like right now, of course, it says link status active. Right, well, that's right. great. It says link speed one gigabit per second, link status active. Vendor Broadcom, who makes the network chipset, and the IP address and the MAC address. But um those statistics are useful, and um, especially if you suspect like substandard cabling um yeah. you're going to see those error numbers uh climb uh if you even get a connection. I, I like your solution of like hard coding it. Well, so it's one it's way to troubleshoot. To, yeah. Yeah. Well, even though you know automatic should work, <laughs> right. A lot of times it doesn't. So you got to force the hand and you know, maybe start at the slowest, say okay, let's start at 10 megabits. Then let's go to 100, then let's go to and and you know, let's see where it starts breaking down.
1: Yeah. Yeah, ten. I, I, I don't. There, are, there might yeah. be some gigabit. Well, no, there might be some gigabit switches that don't support ten, though. I, I don't know oh, that they have to. They,
0: have to. Uh, they don't. I think have the standard to. says they have
1: to. May, okay, maybe they do have to. Yeah. All right. I would always. I hundred is always where I, you know, sort of settle okay. back in. But yeah. But you know, like I was having a problem because I did this with a. Uh Thunderbolt Ethernet adapter. I have one of those connects uh Thunderbolt to mm-hmm. Ethernet and USB 3, Gigabit Ethernet and um, USB 3 things that I use with my MacBook Air, which is awesome. But at some point I must have been doing some testing with it and set it to manually do gigabit, right? Because I wanted to force that and test it you know, for whatever reason. You know, I don't I don't remember why. And then months went by. Everything had been working fine every time I tried to use it, which isn't often. And I, then I had to test some power line adapters. Well, most power line, these power line adapters, some will do gigabit, but these particular ones uh, would only do 100 megabit. And I couldn't connect to these power line adapters. I'm like, I can't believe these things have burned out. Like, I'm not even using them. And finally, I realized, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm forcing my connection to gigabit. And that, you know, that other device doesn't know how to do gigabit. So, you know, there you go. So, Anyway. It was it just, you know, you got to be aware. So it's a good place to check. Um, see how that goes. All right. Uh, we've got some tips, uh, some follow ups from recent shows. Dave will start us off in five ninety four. We were talking about pasting plain text uh, on iOS and we have several Tips for you, Dave is uh, is the first one we'll show we'll share. And he says to paste plain text in iOS, I use a text expander touch snippet. That my shortcut that I use is PTPT, and the short book shortcut content is simply percent clipboard. Uh, he says in the iOS in the edit snippet screen on text expander, it will show the status plain in the content heading that tells you that it will paste unformatted text. And he says, this method works great. As long as you trust smile enough to grant full access to the text, expander keyboard. And I do, and you know, this is, this also works on OS 10 and I create, I can't believe I never thought to use this because you can tell it to take whatever's on the clipboard and paste it as plain text. And so I've created this, this snippet and I have it obviously on iOS and on OS 10 cause it syncs back and forth between them with text expander and i do ptpt now and uh so thank you dave i've already used it probably i don't know a half dozen times since i saw this three days ago when we were prepping the show so good stuff dave thank you for that uh along those same lines we have a note from bill and bill says i'd like to offer the following suggestion Uh, On the Mac, I use a... Oh, he says the same thing. Oh, there it is. Okay, Uh, text expander shortcut with the percent clipboard as the content and plain text as the formatting. So there you go. Thank you, Bill. And lastly, from Joe, uh, along on the same topic, he says, uh, to do this, paste the text into the subject line. In your email, it says, if you want to paste text into a, an email that is plain text, he said, paste it into the subject line and then select it all and cut it from the subject and paste it back into the body. No app switching required, no third party utilities required, and it works well with lengthy blocks of text and images get stripped too. So you'll actually get a scroll bar in the subject line, which is outstanding. And I tried this and it even preserves line breaks, which it should but uh but I was surprised that it did so uh handy stuff thank you very much to uh Dave Bill and Joe and everybody else that that sent us comments about that too it was uh, enlightening I like it any thoughts on that one before we move on John I like the subject line one that's a I mean I like them all in fact so yeah yeah all right uh moving on to James in uh, in show 595, we mentioned Drive DX as part of Cool Stuff Found. And James says, after hearing about Drive DX in episode 595, I downloaded and ran it. Drive DX immediately showed that there was a firmware update for the SSD I have in my Mac Mini. The update resolves a problem that prevents the computer from slowing down or hanging after it has been running for a specific number of hours. Thanks to your podcast, that problem has been averted for my Mac. So, good stuff. I you know, had no idea that DriveDX would would do that, and that's the beauty of some of these uh some of these good utilities. So, thanks James for alerting us to that. And I think thanks Pam for telling us about DriveDX in the first place. So, good stuff. Anything on that one, John, before we move on?
0: No, I like the things I've heard about their software. Yeah. It's it's smart, and I'm not being funny, mm-hmm. in, that, in that it's Smart Plus because right. as we found Smart smart ain't smart isn't and they kind of figure it out they take the parameters uh, from what i can see from you know the product description and they yeah. say you know i think things are going to go bad Whereas smart is just like huh here's some data for you would you like it yeah <laughs> yeah well smart is very binary it's like right. either pass or fail whereas you know if, if you if you take the numbers and you churn and, yeah and be smart about them. And yeah, they they can tell you when bad things are going to happen, and that, that's the feedback I've gotten from more than one person. So uh, thanks, guys.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. finding the firmware. That 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 hats off to them. That that's pretty cool. I, yeah, that is uh, what I would consider above and beyond. I did not uh, I did not expect that, which is again perfect. So, all right, cool. Thanks, James. And now we will move to Jim with uh, some more tips. He said, "Just a quick one for getting rid of files that may be hard to delete in these days of SIP." He says, "Boot from another drive, mount the directory containing the files you want to delete, and drag them to the trash." He said, "In my case, I had leftover files from Carbon Copy Clo- Cloner Safety Net uh, from when a swapped uh, when I swapped my main boot drive and a backup drive. I tried many ways to delete them: permission changes, uh, ACL changes." using sudo and ch flags uh, as recommended by Apple. I downloaded a couple of apps that promised results. None of them worked. And he says, I learned it might be a SIP issue from the Carbon Copy Cloner help site. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So this is very interesting because we had had a, a similar exchange with listener Anthony about being unable to delete a file. And Anthony's solution was essentially uh, quite similar to this. In the end, he said, I connected my iMac and MacBook Pro via Firewire and I booted the iMac into target disk mode uh, and then dumped the file from the desktop to the trash on my MacBook Pro, then deleted the file on the MacBook Pro. So mounting it from another source was the solution. And his assumption at that point was that it was a, a, the iMac was holding it in an open state that's not it it's system integrity protection getting in the way and uh and the uh, the folks at uh, at uh, Bombic software um, are aware of this, and uh, thankfully in Jim's case he was having problems with a carbon copy cloner file, so he knew you know some searching led him down the right path Anthony it was a different thing so uh, but yeah. it, it can be sip can can bite you so well it's, it's
0: maintaining the integrity of the files and that it's like nope. Yep, not gonna let you delete that yep because I I know best
1: <laughs> yeah because I know best yeah exactly yeah so interesting stuff and uh and thank you both for for sharing so all right uh Chester helps us with uh another one here with the iPhone 6s he said uh when I last wrote in Uh, my iPhone's internal personality was suffering from a breakdown. This was that iPhone that was, that was doing all sorts of crazy things. He said, you suggested that I do a restore from backup and see if that solved the problem. I never did that since then it has started working. Uh, it was odd and it started working more frequently and then giving me errors less often. And then it started working all the time. I guess it was the opposite of a slow breakdown. Uh, He says, you guys were talking, he says, now that I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of quick tips. You guys were talking about the keyboard on the new S series phones as a trackpad by deep pressing into it with 3D touch. That's something I've loved since I got the 6S plus. Well, my tip is that sometimes it doesn't work, or at least that was my experience until I figured out why. If you move too quickly from typing and try to deep press into the keyboard, it won't work. You have to wait until the cursor starts blinking again. It's a slight delay. But once you know, it's no big deal, a hundred percent success rate, uh, ever since. So, uh, I also noticed something that's probably not intentional with the, uh, with the trackpad keyboard mode on the 6S series uh, of iPhone. So if you, if you get yourself into trackpad keyboard mode, which is where just as uh, Chester says, you wait in the, you know, wait till the cursor is blinking and then deep press on the keyboard, you'll get into trackpad mode. But you'll still see the um, the keyboard there. It just all the letters disappear. But here's something interesting: if you start typing on that keyboard, your digits or your your letters will appear to the left of the cursor insertion point. Again, I'm I'm not convinced this is intentional. I can't really think of a use case for it, but um, but it is worth pointing out. So you'd, you'd have one finger, you know, on the keyboard as a trackpad and then you could bring the other one in and and start tapping letters. If you, again, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you know, Hey, far be it from us to judge. I got one last one, John, actually I got two, but one last one from listener Tracy and then, and then one from me, uh, Tracy says about your issue where your Mac seems to Be unable to forget Wi Fi networks like the Logan Wi Fi one. Maybe you can blame your family for your Wi Fi problems. Here's why. When checking my Wi Fi list the other day, I noticed a huge long list of networks that I didn't recognize. As I went through the list, I noticed Boston underscore Wi Fi. I've never been to Boston, but I realized that my coworker has, and my coworker has used my computer, uh, was in Boston last year. When he and I started looking through the list together, we noticed places he has been as well as his wife and my wife. My family shares an iMac, but we all have our own accounts on the iMac, but all of us sync our devices to the same computer, which means I'm getting their Wi-Fi networks. So this leads me to believe that even when I delete all of the Wi-Fi networks from my devices, as long as I share a computer, they will still repopulate. Does this make sense? And this is possible because on the Mac... It remembers Wi-Fi networks system wide, so whatever network a any user has joined, other users will automatically join, or that computer will automatically join that network for other users. So does that then mean that that populates the auto join list on the on the Mac for each user for those networks, and then that of course gets synced over iCloud to all of your iOS devices. And here we go; it never forgets. So that makes there's some sense here. So there is one computer that we all share quite a bit in the house. Actually, there's, there's two now. So it's possible that for me, that's what the issue is, is. It keeps coming back. So I wonder if I go to that kind of main computer that, that we all share and pull these from there and see if the change will percolate out, not just to me, but to everyone. So I, I will, I will look into that. This is, it's interesting. I, I don't have another answer for it. Do you?
0: john i threw up my hands the last time dave i think i told
1: you i know it was
0: like two weeks ago all of a sudden uh, my computer was connecting to not what i thought was my preferred network which is the base station in my house and then i looked at the list and it was like a blast from the past and the thing is uh, i'm the only one that uses my computers right right i mean i um, got my iMac, my MacBook Pro. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, my Mac Mini, my MacBook Pro, my iPad, and my iPhone. Those are the four machi- Those are the only four machines that ever use my iCloud. So yep. There's no chance of anyone that I don't know about. Well, maybe there is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think it 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 got into a state where I don't know. Maybe there was a problem at iCloud Central, and they were like, "Whoops, you know, something went wrong. Let's let's restore from a really old." version yeah. of his cloud and it's like okay okay here we nothing. go yep because <laughs> yeah. i had seen things that were like places that i'd i'd been at years ago right right yeah some don't
1: even exist anymore whereas you have the same problem <clears throat> drives me crazy so speaking of traveling john i was in san diego uh, this week for a couple of days to visit with a company called smart draw mm-hmm. and we'll talk more about this i'm sure as, as things move on but SmartDraw is—it's um, essentially—it's not essentially—it's a a competitor to Vizio. It, it's a an easy way to sort of describe it. But SmartDraw has been around for 22 years, and but they've only ever made Windows clients that do this. Now, it, for those of you that don't know Vizio, and most of us Mac users probably don't, because nothing like this is really made for the Mac. There's some there's some crummy uh, alternatives, but. <clears throat>
0: I wouldn't go that far. Well, Vizio, if, if, if I recall being, uh, uh,
1: lets you draw nice pictures, right? More than that, it, it lets you draw intelligent pictures and that's what smart draw does too, right? It, it, um, you can do things the the one that really resonated for me and I think will resonate with the show is being able to draw a network map. So the idea is you tell it what you're drawing and then you don't actually have to be able to draw Right. They have all kinds of symbols, which is another word for built in shapes. Right. Kind of like really smart clip art, uh, for lack of a better term, where you go and say, "Okay, I'm going to draw a network map. Right. And then it'll it'll load these libraries of things that you might want in a network map, like things like, you know, switches and routers and firewalls and, you know, computers and devices and all that. And you can bring in other things, too. They've got like, I don't know, I think it's four or five thousand symbols and in smart draw. Right, and then Visio does the same thing. They have less symbols and okay. really...
0: Well, I, I, I want to take it back. I, I was being kind of silly, but Visio is uh, Microsoft's, uh, I would say, diagramming software. So it lets you draw flow charts. It lets you draw all sorts of diagrams to, right. to, make, to, to help people understand... Flows and, and and things like that. So it, it's it's a huge. It does so. I mean, I've used it in the past to draw flow charts for software. You can sure. use it for so many things. But it sounds. But it doesn't like,
1: work on the Mac. Uh,
0: correct. You would have to run it under a virtual machine. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, it's part that. of Office, and and yeah. they never migrated it over to the Mac. But it sounds like these Smart Draw guys uh, are are focusing on a subset of the functionality, but no, they're also a much larger set of the functionality than Vizio. What? In that they do everything that Vizio does. And then some. Oh, okay. So I can like draw a flowchart chart with Absol- absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I, I it sounded n- like you were suggesting that it only did network stuff. Okay, no, no, I picked the network.
1: That's the problem is okay. it, it sort of, Got it's it. a kitchen sink app, right? So it, you ha- you have to pick something to talk about, but yeah, flowcharts, org charts, but the cool part about um, these types of apps and smart draw, obviously included there, but Vizio is this way too is it at, at some level they're all smart so as opposed to taking some drawing software and building say an org chart right or a network diagram which you could do and you could bring in clip art from the web or whatever but when you take a group of items and move it um they don't move intelligently right you know things don't move out of the way when you want to insert something in or whatever you have to like manually move stuff out of the way that's not true with with these types of of apps and SmartDraw is really good with the way you move things around, and it just really intelligently relays it out because you it knows what you're building. Well, there's never been SmartDraw for the Mac. There's never been Visio for the Mac. There's been some other software, but you know, I, I've tried some of them, and none of them have stuck. Well, SmartDraw for the last three years, they decided they were going to rewrite SmartDraw, and they decided to do it in HTML5, CSS3. And JavaScript. And I got to check it out this week. You can check it out too at, at smartdraw.com. It's amazing how full featured this web app is. I, I mean, wow, that's like platform neutral. That's the, that was their point, right? Was not only do they want to use this as their platform going forward, you know, at some point they'll, you know, their windows users presumably would migrate here whenever their windows users are ready to do so they yeah. can still use the windows app, but it is feature complete including file format. So if you have like, and it will, it'll save to their cloud, but it'd save to Dropbox too. So if you are on your windows desktop or whatever, and you edit a file and you save it to your Dropbox. And then you link your Dropbox to your SmartDraw.com account. You go to SmartDraw.com, you log in, and you can read that same file from the Dropbox. And I mean, it's amazing how they've, they've you know, gotten all the vector graphics to work in both places. I totally forgot. They had me go through a couple of exercises while I was there so I could you know, sort of learn how to use the software. By the third one, I forgot I was in a web browser. He started, you know, I was sitting with one of the engineers and I asked a question about something. And he's like, well, yeah, that's a good question. He said, we really had to, you know, work around the, the way the DOM work. I'm like, oh, that's right. We're still in a web browser. <laughs> like, holy crap. Document object model. DOM, yeah. All that great stuff. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, that's a, re-
0: it's pretty cool, make, man. To make an app app work on a web
1: platform. Yeah. is really hard to do properly. It is. And it, like I said, they, I mean, they've done, they've been working on this for three years. Yeah and they're smart people. And, and so it's, we'll talk more about it, but it, it, I was really, as you can tell, really excited to see this type of thing because there's sometimes, you know, I'm not an artist. I don't, but it, but there's times when I want to visually get a point across and, and software like this is super, super handy to do that. So anyway, I just wanted to, uh, to throw that out there so that, uh, so, so, a, so you folks knew, you know, where I was this week and also, um, you know uh, that this tool exists it it officially I think it's in it's in beta right now but uh, I believe it's coming out like the the official release of the web thing you can see it right now but it the the official release is coming this week so and they were pushing changes you know like minor changes and all that good stuff so it was fun It's good John I think that's all we got today no we always got more yeah we do we did good though, well, getting through you stuff could have today. More. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. Feedback at I'm sorry,
0: <laughs> I interrupted
1: you. A fu- a fu- uh, 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 feedback at is the email address that you can use to send email to us. Questions, tips. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> Go ahead. And now at the end, we are just stepping all over each other because you know Dave said. Uh, he said something, and and I was going to jump in and also say feedback at macgeek.com where nope. you can send macgeekgab.com. Ah, yeah. right, right. I i, I always screwed that up. I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> 2015, 2016. That's right. I said 2015 because I saw 15 on the calendar right next to 14. It happens. That that that's that's my excuse.
1: Yeah, yeah. Stick with that. No. That's good. Premium at MacGeekab.com is the address to use if you are a premium member. If you want to learn about being a premium member where you will get uh, access to that premium at MacGeekab.com address, which is prioritized for your questions, please visit MacGeekCab.com. We pushed a new version of the MacGeekab app out this week. Finally, we made some minor, I say we, Corey made some minor changes to it uh, to fix some bugs and stuff uh, for you folks. But uh, and the app is free. You should go download it. But uh, it got rejected. Right? We we've we've been through actually we've been through a couple of rejections. But this one was now what's their problem? Well, this this time they rejected it because we had. They're like, oh, you have this premium thing, but it's not an in-app purchase. And I'm like, well, okay. First of all, folks, what's the problem with that? This has been here for years. So why you're picking now? I don't know. You know. um, So what do they want a slice of it? Well, they said—so I I explained to them what premium was, and I I said, look, to be honest, it's basically a donations model at this point, right? And they said, but you have this premium email address where, you know, people can get stuff, because they had researched it. And I'm like, that's true. They said, so technically it's not donations. If it was, you can link off-site or, you know, to another website to do donations. But because you are offering this service— Uh, You know That would have to be An in-app purchase Or You don't have to link to it In the app at all So we don't You can still log into Your premium account In the app We just can't have a link That says learn more About premium And they were okay with that Once we uh, Really? Yeah I had a conversation with them They called me And we talked it through Yeah yeah Yeah. So it
0: still sounds to me Like They kind of maybe Wanted a piece of that
1: Yeah Okay it was weird I mean they understood it You know so, no, I get it. Well, the, you know, the good news is that hey, at least
0: somebody there is paying attention to some things.
1: Well, that's like the problem. Generating is the inconsistency. revenue for Apple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I said, hey, I'll hey, put it in I, there. But hey, I'm all for that. Yeah, but I don't want to give you thirty percent. You know, um, hmm. actually, I'd be curious, uh, you folks, because I mean, I, I don't want to give up thirty percent. <laughs> you know, but would it? Would are there, is there anyone out there that has not joined premium? that would do so if we had an in-app purchase because if we're if, if we're making it difficult for you or if we're making it so difficult for you to do this that you're not doing it well then maybe we should do that for you and then and then we'll just you know eat the 30 percent and that's how it goes so i would be curious what you think so write us uh, or call us 224-888-geek as we mentioned earlier or find us on uh, find us on twitter john why don't you tell them how to find us on twitter there's so many ways to find us on Twitter.
0: Us being, well, not just us, but me and you, Dave. So I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. That other guy who is no doubt piloting his little heart out is Pilot Pete. The podcast is MacGeekEd, and the publication
1: is Mac Observer. all at twitter.com slash. That's right. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, seriously thank you very much uh, thank you for all your questions and everything it really makes uh, it makes the show work right so thank you uh, sincerely for that I want to thank our sponsors as we mentioned HelloFresh at HelloFresh.com where coupon code MGG saves you 35 bucks also Gazelle at Gazelle.com uh, I want to thank the th- the folks at Smile SmileSoftware.com slash Geek squarespacecom slash MGG where coupon code MGG saves you 10% off your first order The wonderful people at MacSales.com, Otherworld Computing, Barebones Software at Barebones.com, and Casper at Casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. Get a better night's sleep, why not? I hope you have a fantastic week. I hope you uh, have recovered from the hour that you may have lost in this weekend's time change if you're in the U.S. I think uh, if you're elsewhere in the world and you do this uh, winter-summer time change thing, that yours comes a little later, I think. I think we're, we're all discombobulated here. But anyway, have fun. Pay attention to your clocks. And uh, don't get caught.
0: Made up.